Let's start to find our seats, please. All right, those that are still having conversations at the back. I just said the back, the front guys that are sitting, you can still chitter chatter. Shh. I wasn't expecting such a Obedient response. Everyone like kept quiet and like, but I like it. Church is holy place. Come on, guys. I'm gonna climb off here. Um, Gim. Let's. Um, we're gonna open up in prayer. Dex, do you wanna pray for us? Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Let's let's bow our heads. Let's uh, just uh, take a bit of time just to focus on our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Father, thank you, for, thank you for this day, Lord. This is the day that you have made, and Lord, we want to rejoice this morning and be ignorant and be glad in you. Lord, would you pour out your Spirit today on all flesh? Would you pour your Spirit into our hearts? Would you deposit your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit? I want to pray, Lord, that you'll open every ear and every heart here today that we will hear what you have to say to us, Lord God. And Lord, would you cause us to worship in such a way that we give you glory, honor, and praise. Lord, that you would get the reward for what you did on the cross for us, that you lay down your life, Lord, that you, the blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that today, Lord, you would be glorified and magnified in all we do and all we say, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, awesome, guys. Wonderful to be with you all this morning. Woo okay, I'm not doing church like this. You guys need to get some life or faith in you. But we're talking faith. I want to talk to faith. Have faith and excitement. Um, wonderful to be with you guys this morning. Yeah. The people of God. The people of God. Just remember that. I always remember that God always saved for Himself a remnant, a people for Himself, and uh, His church is that remnant on the earth now. You guys sitting here. Woohoo! Yeah. Preach it, brother. Um, so I want to welcome the visitors first and foremost, those that, have, that are here for the first time. Uh, we want to welcome you. We trust that you enjoy the time with us. We hope that someone has welcomed you or greeted you. I see that hand, brother. Um, nice to have you with us. So what we want to do is just give you some information about the church. If it is your first time here this morning, if you could just raise your hand, we'll give you some information telling you a bit about the church. Also, if you want to give us your details, you're welcome to give us your details if you're looking for 
uh, more information or someone to contact you about the church. And then also, you enjoy a free cappuccino from the coffee shop as well. And they are amazing, but we'd love to have you spend some time with us afterwards as well. So yeah, welcome. I didn't see those hands. Did everyone get a... Gim, is it your first time? Gim, don't be shy. But we know Gim. Gim's been to come uh, at Austin's place. Uh, special mention, but you can get the coffee as well. Um, okay, cool. So visitors, enjoy. Also, when we do our tithes and offerings, uh, please, we don't want your money. We, we are that church that... No, I'm trying to try to be funny, but it won't be funny. But we don't want to do, um, we don't want, we don't need you to give us anything. It's just for our members and those that consider them family. We, welcome, Mr. Narcos. Lucas Narcos, guys. Uh, but yeah, no, welcome. Lucas um, is the 11 a.m., the leader of our 11 a.m., lead elder of our 11 a.m. congregation. So when we leave here, the 11 a.m. congregation, we shuffle past them. Lucas, welcome. Um, okay, I've lost my train of thought now. Where was I? Announcements. Dan and Sam um, that lead this congregation are in Benoni this weekend. They're ministering to the church there. That's correct, yes. So they're not with us this morning, but the beautiful kids are here. Do you miss your mom and dad? Um, <laughs> there was a yes. <laughs> and and um, yeah, we have some announcements Clayton, I think the 412 announcement is a, is a big, that, that, that video clip went out about three 412 conferences this year, not everyone traveling down to the one venue in Cape Town, but we are the, the, the 412 um, church is growing, and we can't fit everyone, and, and yeah, so there is enough churches up, uh, I didn't watch this clip actually, I think it's Gauteng, and Eastern Cape and Western Cape, all happening on the same day. So, Clayton, do you have that for us? You don't. Do you have the slide of the dates? I think it is the 18th of September. Twenty. Twenty-seventh to the 29th of September. Dara's that date. Save the date, 27th to 29th of September. It's over a weekend. You don't have to take leave. It is an amazing time. Um, obviously, we will, as we get closer to that time, we'll be giving more details and reminding you guys. So we're, tickets aren't available yet, but when they are available, we'll let you know. Um, I did make notes. I'll bring these out. This Wednesday night is a combined community at the church here. So we have uh, Milani Dutoy. She's a 412 prophetess. She's a gift uh, to us as a church is a prophetic gift, and she's going to be spending time with us as a congregation uh, over next week. I think she'll also minister to us on next week's Sunday. But this coming Wednesday, um, don't go to your communities, because community is going to be here from 7 o'clock Wednesday night. Amen. Amen. Woohoo, guys. And also, the, we, were, we were planning a Monday night worship night here that has been postponed shifted, but we are going to have worship Wednesday night uh, and then the prophetic with Milani. So come excited, come expectant, and we're trusting that God is going to do amazing things in us and with us and through us and for us. 
Yes, Declan, thank you. Praise God. Um, can the tithes and offerings go around, please? So as the boxes go around, um, you know, I was going to try to be funny about we don't want your money to the visitors and say that we're not one of those churches that try and create the pump and extort money out of the congregation for my private jet or my jet fuel. However, we are a people of God that need to be generously giving. And, I, and I, you know, we, we, we do this, we, we should do this every week as a reminder for us. For this very reason, and I know this in myself, that when we talk about uh, giving, um, it reminds us to prioritize what we do with our money. And when we stop, when we don't mention it, you know, when it's number one in terms of priority, the thing that is the most important thing that I do with my money, number one, is I seek first the kingdom of God and and. All his righteousness and everything else is then added. When I prioritize giving to the church as my, prior, as, as my first importance, when we stop reminding us that it shifts from number one to number two to number three to number four to number five, and as the financial pressures of the world and the, econo- the economy of what we see around us starts to get harder, we start to elevate other things. So it's more important that I have food on my table. It's more important that I have clothes. It's more important that I have takeaways or cappuccinos, whatever it is. Um, And this is just the reminder again, in order of importance, to give generously to the work of the ministry. Because without this thing, you you know, Andrew mentioned last night the gathering. Woohoo! Gathering last night. We are, I think, 55 congregations now. We wouldn't be. If people weren't giving faithfully, we would never be that. We don't have the. And if, if people, if we could get more money today, if we would have millions more coming in every month, we would have more churches planted. We'd have more guys in full time ministry, more venues to get people in together, uh, and his church would expand. So it's purely, not purely, it is one of the things that are limiting us is um, that we just don't have enough resources. But those that do have, we trust that you prioritize and faithfully continue to give. And those that do, thank you. And those that need to be reminded, be reminded. Make it a priority, your giving. All right, is that cool? Amen. I'm just going to pray. I want to just pray into that thing. Lord, we, we thank you, God, that you provide everything. Everything, God. You provide our jobs. You provide our finances, our house, our clothes. Everything comes from your hand, God. Uh, and Lord, and you even tell us, that we are able to test you on this, that you're a faithful God uh, in providing what we need, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for what you do provide, and, Father, we pray that you would bless it, God, and that uh, even as uh, we receive the money as a church, Lord, that we would be good stewards of that money, Lord, and that we would use it faithfully to extend your kingdom and to, and to provide opportunity for people to get saved and to people to be added to family. I pray that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, we're going to worship. The worship team can come out. Thank you. Um, yeah, we have guests blessing us from the City Bowl congregation. So let's welcome them. 
just want to see if I missed out. Thanks, Nick. I am super excited to be here. Dan said I can't preach. I can't preach if I don't have a MacBook. So I did my best at like putting it up here. I am... I got saved into this house 20 years ago, to the year, and uh, yeah, it's been long, and what's beautiful is I look around and I see so many new faces and how we've grown and how people have planted and how more have been added, and I consider myself a son in this house. I, uh, I truly do. I am very, very appreciative of my friends I have. Uh, I got messages while even just before worship started, Eric, don't tank. Like, that's the kind of friends we have here, you know? And, um, and so I, I'm very um, appreciative of the fathers that we also have in this house that have paved the way for us and our differences. And it's, it's really cool to look around and see how we've all come from different walks of life, different spheres of life. And um, I mean, two weeks ago, I was hearing Nick say how he reads out of Charles Spurgeon and he gets these great quotes. Guys, I read from the Farmers Weekly. And I read the Ski Boat magazine, and I read stuff like that. And so our differences just are amazing. But we still love each other, and, we, and we're still here. And so Dan asked me a while ago, like, did, did I have something to share? And I felt, like, I felt like God had placed a word on my heart that it's not, it's not so much just a scripture. It's not a scripture and verse word. It's something, it's a season that God has been doing in me over a lengthy period, probably already a year, And the more that I walk this out and the more that I build relationship with you guys in the church, the more I find God is doing the same thing in you guys, in each of your separate seasons. And the thing that God had been doing in me in this season was calling me to a deeper level of trust in Him. You know, trust is such a big thing. In God, It's so important for us as believers to grasp this because it means that our hearts, you know, we had in worship that, that focusing be lifted high, that that in itself is trusting, putting God on the throne, trusting him to be above all things. And I don't want to share with you this morning a great verse. We all know, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on him your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll make your crooked path straight. To a simple person like me, and maybe many of you could associate with me, if I hear that, it's a great verse. It's a great thing to stick on my fridge, but it doesn't, it doesn't simplify it for me to give me handles on how to live this out. How, how does this work and walk out in, in my life? And so this morning, I'm going to do four things. I'm going to remind us of a word that I had for us as a church and people at the end of last year. I'm going to read a scripture that I use as a pillar of scripture in my life. And then I'm going to share two stories from my life, which I want you guys to relate to and reach out to. And then we're going to tie it back all up to that scripture, okay? So we're going to to go that that route now. But I want to pray for us first. Father God... I pray that you would come and convict where conviction is needed. I pray, Father, that you would bring joy where there is sadness. I pray that you would open our eyes, Father. I pray that any scales that are there from fear and lies would be removed right now 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I want to jump to the scripture that I love, and it's Matthew 14, verse 22 to 23. Every one of you will know this. It's called Jesus, uh, Jesus Walks on the Water. So I'm going to read it so you guys can read it back there with me. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the wind, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Okay, big story, big pillar in my life. And I'm hoping after today you can make it something of a pillar in your life too. But let's park that quickly. So I, um, I want to share two stories from my life. And each of these stories, it's not about sharing the story. It's about exposing a level of dependency that I have in my sinful nature, in my flesh, that I think many of us might also carry. And, that, and then we're going to tie it in. The first story we're going to tie in and the second story we're going to tie in and how we respond to God in these things, okay? So I had a wild childhood, not wild by choice, wild because I am a lot lamaki. My sister is 12 years older than me, okay? So when I'm at the age of five, six, seven, she's 17, 18, 19. And at 17, 18, 19, like some of you guys might hear, there's not a care in the world. There's very little responsibility on your shoulders. You have amazing things. And, and so a little bit, of, my sister used to train dolphins. She used to train whales. She was a wild child. Uh, she, she took years off my dad's life for his one party. She made a video. She shaved her hair like a number four, dyed it black, took a video with like a Guinness thing and a nose ring just to prank him, you know, that, uh, the, like, that she's losing it off the rails kind of thing. And uh, so this was the sister that I had. It was actually more like a second mom, but without the responsibility, but with 100% of the vicarious living. Anything she felt she had missed out on in life, she was going to live through me. And so she lived in, she lived in Durban, and uh, we, we used to live in Durban, and then we moved to PE. And one of the things was, just, just before we left Durban, uh, I was about six years old, the type of people that train dolphins and whales and things like that, they're rough around the edges. You know, you, you've got to have a serious, like, mental processing for that. And so, and, and I used to have all the benefits. Whenever there was a rescue dolphin, I used to go and swim with these dolphins for hours, and it was fantastic. But one of the wild side things that comes with this is this vicarious living. She wants me to experience this, like, thing that she's busy, her world is blossoming, my world must now blossom too at my formative age of six. <laughs> and so, and so I, um, 
So what does she do? She says one of her mates, that, uh, one of her friends that helps train these dolphins is into surf skiing. The, this, uh, you know, you've got these long things about half a meter wide. You can fit one or two in them. And in Durban, big swell, like, that's quite a big thing there, surf skiing, okay? And so she arranges for me to go out on a paddle with this guy. I can't remember his name. But for all intents and purposes, it needs to be Danger Dave. And so, and so Danger Dave meets us at the beach, and he's got his two-person surf ski. And... He and my sister are like, how's it, this is it, uh, get in the back, he's going to take you for a short paddle. It was a crisp morning, I remember, and uh, big waves, shore break, KZN. So he says to me, no, you get in the back, it's meant to be the, like the heavy guy in the back um, and, and the light in the front, but because there's waves, you get in the back, he's going to paddle in the front, he's going to, if the waves come, he's going to at least break the brunt of the waves. So we go, we paddle, and there's waves, and he's getting hammered, I can see, and I'm just at the back checking this out. And this is all exciting, you know, we get out and we pass the breakers. And then, just curious little Eric in the back. Huh, Danger Dave, where, where are we going? And, he, and this, this remark, I hear it echo in my voice at night when I close my eyes. He says, he says, we're going to the shark nets. He just wants to check them out. I'm like, sorry, come again? No, no we, he want, he, we're going to the shark nets. He wants to dive to see if there's anything stuck in the shark nets. I don't know if this was part of his job or something. But here's me at six hearing that I am what we call in the food industry a hors d'oeuvre, a starter. <laughs> I am 18 kilos after a big meal. He's probably 85, and the paddle is probably just a toothpick when he's finished with us. But, you know, so, so at six years old, you're sitting there, and all you can hear, all you, all you think is that everything this side of the shark nets, it's calm and peaceful, and you're waiting for, you're waiting as you get closer, there's just going to be this gnashing of teeth. And I mean, KZN doesn't mess around with its sharks, guys. It's got the Zambezi shark, it's got the tiger shark, they're, they're hugely territorial. It's got the black tip shark. These, are, these sharks don't mess around. And uh, so as we start getting closer, I see there's a, a boy over there and a boy over there, not, not, a, not a boy, a, a buoy. There's a buoy over there and a buoy over there, and the nets are hung beneath it. And, and so I'm saying, okay, there's no gnashing of teeth. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Can, heart rate can drop from 3,000 down. And, and now we get there. And he's like, okay, well, there's the boy. Here's the boy. We're right over it. He wants to now go in and get it. And this surf ski, as this guy throws his legs over, boom, rolls. You can imagine, we were reliving Jesus walking on water. We were, at six years old, I think maybe a little bit of me got, got touched with water, but I was crouching back on that boat, okay? I, I managed to make it in. I was, I mean, at six, I don't know how furious you can be at six, but this is what happens. If, forgive, if anybody hears uh, like laughter like a zebra coming from this side, it's my sister laughing, because she's joining us, because for 32 years, this has been like the joke on me, you know? So thanks for, thanks for coming, Hayes. <laughs> um, at this point, I'm starting to think, you know, I'm the last lamaki of the family. Maybe they actually didn't want me. Maybe this is their way of like getting rid of me. Shark nets tipping me over. And uh, long story short, we get back in. On the way back, Dave says, no, no, you, I, I must be in the front, meaning me. I must be in the front. Dave must be in the back. So he, he dives down to the shark nets. And I, I'm thinking, 
yolks call it YOLO, you only live once. I'm like, you also only die once. Why would you dive down to the nets? And so, and so he manages to come back up, takes his breath, and fantastic, this guy's alive, we can get back. And he jumps in the back, and we start paddling, and we're catching this swell, and it's amazing. And, and as we're surfing, I'm starting to really enjoy this ride now. And it's like, well, Dave's not so bad. He's alive, firstly. I didn't see sharks. Like, the situation isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. This is fantastic. And I'm starting to enjoy it. And then we land, and we come up. And there's <laughs> such mixed emotions, because he has my sister. Hey, she used to call me Ricky. Hey, Ricky, how was it? It was hell. <laughs> but, but, then it was, but then it was amazing at the same time, you know? And, uh, and so... There's two takeaways from this story before I get onto the second one that I want you to keep in mind for later. The first takeaway is God doesn't always tell you where he's taking you because you won't go if he does. If Hazel had told me, my sister's Hazel, if she had told me, I'm taking you to the beach, Danger Dave is going to paddle you through the, sh the surf break at the nets. He's going to jump off and inspect the sharks, get back on the boat and come back. I wouldn't have even gotten in the car. Bank that. The second one is, when I started to develop the trust in Dave, I started to enjoy the ride and I enjoyed the swell, and I enjoyed the surfing, and I enjoyed what was out there, and the other paddlers. And I wanna ask you guys, how many of you trust the paddler? Do we trust God? Okay, so I wanna bank those two thoughts. Second story, that, that um, sorry, let me just clarify this before I move on there. That shark net story is purely based around you know, if you struggle with anxiety, that paddling through the back waves and hearing that we're going through to the shark nets gave me anxiety about a future event. You know, if you're a person that's like, hey, I get nervous about those things, I get nervous about that, am I trusting God to come through? Am I trusting God in that? Because that anxiety is pitching itself against, against God, right? And so if you might say to yourself, actually, I'm a detailed person. If you're a person that needs to know every detail where we're going, every detail about how it's gonna work, who's gonna be there, what's gonna happen, you know, how long do we have to stay for? Like, those are kind of questions that, in the wrong spirit, pitch themselves against trust. Okay? Next story. Thanks, Declan. I was banking on you being here, boy. Next, next story is uh, I used to, we moved, my father was a big businessman and he moved throughout the country and one of the things of him traveling so much was that I went into a boarding house. I loved the boarding house, it was amazing. So this story is not about against the boarding house, it's about a codependency that I have that I experienced in the boarding house, okay? And so uh, grade eight, that's standard six. Sorry, I'm older than the grades now. So standard six, grade eight. You know the last night in the Corsairs, and this grade 11s think they're all big big, because now they're coming into matrix, and last night they're gonna come and they're gonna, you know, ah, we're gonna pummel you and do this. So we're grade eights. Guys, in grade eight, I was tiny. I was absolutely tiny. You wouldn't believe it looking at me now, but I really was. <laughs> and, and there's one attribute about me that I'm wondering if some of us here have and that share another common denominator, and that is called self-reliance. 
where we so quickly and so strongly attach to relying on our own skills, our own gifts, our own things that we can fabricate that create a safety. Do you remember the word that I had about the bird and the cage? For those of you that don't know, okay, I'll get to that just now. So anyway, in the boarding house, last night, we're gonna, we're gonna get it now. These grade 11s are coming for us. I can tell you what, no, I, I wasn't this size. Like in my size, in, when I was in grade eight, the grade 11s looked like Warren's size. And you are just, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? And so me and the other smallest guy in the dorm, Frenchie, we say, listen, I'm gonna outsmart these oaks. I can't beat them physically, but nobody can outthink me and nobody can out self-reliance me. <laughs> so, so here we go. So we go to course, dinner. And we're all chowing around the table. The grade eights will eat together, blah, blah, blah. And I offer to take a few of the guys' plates. And while we're sitting down, I take one of the dinner knives and I slide it into my sock. One of the, you know, like a butter knife. You know, it's like a slide it into my sock. We wear long socks. And so I took a few plates so that when I give it in and you put your cutlery in the one basket, this is how strategic I'm thinking. They're not going to see that my knife is missing. My plate's going to go into the other side. Some of you have your own strategic thinking. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to keep this guy off my back. And if this local church asks me, how am I doing? I'm going to say, praise God, I'm doing so well. And meanwhile, you've got your strategies and your socks and your things to keep you guys off your back. And so, sorry, that wasn't on my notes. That was just a freebie. Boom. Um, and, so, and so, course is finished. Dinner's finished. Bell goes. We go back. And it's last night, so there's no homework. But now you can feel the tension rising. Yo! And cut it with a butter knife. So, so, and uh, and so, we uh, now it's bedtime. Lights out. Nine o'clock. Nine thirty. Ding, ding, ding. Bell goes, and now you can hear the oak starting to starting to tank off. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. And Frenchie and I were next to each other. And I'm like, Frenchie, Frenchie, are you awake? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing kicks in your self-reliance like when there's somebody else counting on you. Who's so? What I'm going to share now is. You know who, who are people who have counting on you? Single moms, orphans, widows, widowers, new Christians. Maybe you're new to the faith. You're relying on yourself and your own strength to overcome your sin. This self-reliance thing is big. And so I can hear the dorms falling asleep and hear the grade 11s. Starting to hana hana outside because they used to live in a dorm a little bit over there. But no one's gonna get me. And so everyone in our dorm is eventually asleep except Frenchie. And for those of you that are thinking I'm taking a knife and stabbing one of the grade 11s, you guys are crazy. <laughs> I will pray for you afterwards. So I take the butter knife out of my socks and I start unscrewing the burglar bars because no one's gonna get me. And so I unscrew the burglar bars, wooden things in there take them off, put them next to the bed. Frenchie and I get out the window. I'm sitting on the window, pull it closer, just put a few loose screws in so they won't think anything. Guys, this is grade eight. And I'm like, this is how self-reliant I am. Maybe you guys are like, Eric, I'm not in your boat. But maybe you are, so we can relate. And, and I duck out and we run. And this isn't a boarding house that's in a forest, guys. We run into the forest, we run into the trees. We, we, um, we find one of these civil works, big drainage things. We hide in that drain from probably half past 10, quarter to 11, until maybe just after five when the sun starts to set, to rise. When it rises, and we're talking ourselves in silly into that thing. Imagine what they're doing. Ah, did you hear that leaf rustle? Did you hear this? Yes, see, we are tripping. 
And so, and so um, the sun starts to rise. We bolt back, take off the things, jump in the bedroom, and boy, did we get it. Oaks had been looking for us the whole night. They were two seconds short from phoning the police, thinking that we had been like taken or something like that. Meanwhile, we, I, flee, I fled based on my own fear. And it was almost worse coming back because it turned out that the grade 11s were doing nothing. <laughs> so we spent the whole night. I mean, the one oak got a bit of a cup of water in his face and, and that was it. We thought we were gonna get paneled. And I, and I wanna take two takeaways from this. Self-reliance is an absolute degrading of the trust that God has called us to because it relies on us and our strength and nothing that he provides to us. The second thing is that when you're experiencing fear, fear at its core foundation is based off a lie. It distracts you from seeing God's truth, guys. All of, all of the above that I'm sharing with you, guys, that's all me. That's my weaknesses. Like, I'm not standing here above, above any of you guys. Like, this is, this is still stuff I'm fighting. This is years long of what God's been doing in my life. So now what I want to do, I want to come back to this beautiful scripture. Claire, we're going to start at the top. Verse, uh, let's go to 24. One of the things I need to do, and it would be very silly not to, is to highlight the nature of Jesus and then to highlight the nature of Peter in this passage. Because we can take away some serious learnings from here and see how, right, how can we trust? What happens when we fall? What happens, what is the nature of Jesus when you start to trust? What is the nature of man in this whole story, okay? I wanted to do Jesus first and then Peter second, but I think just for the sake of putting this in kind of chronologically, I'm gonna go one, 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 and we're gonna look at it in order, okay? Verse 24, um, where are we here, sorry, verse 24, it says, uh, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. The miracle directly preceding this was feeding the 5,000, long day. Five loaves, two fish, disciples are there, feeding the 5,000, they're on a hillside, they've now had to go and gather all their baskets together. They, I can imagine there's a sense of, the guys are tired, mixed emotions. They can't believe they've just been feeding loaves. Imagine you come with five and at the end, you're just throwing half loaves of bread and it's not running out. And this is amazing. But then there's this mixed emotion where it's pitch black. The wind is creating waves that is buffeting against the side of the boat. You're getting spray on your face, you're wet. And they're now alone with moonlight, and where's Jesus? If it was me, I would be. I'm in pitch black, just experienced an amazing miracle. Why did Jesus have to send us alone? Okay? And, uh, and then we see in verse 24, uh, sorry, so in verse 25, then we see Jesus comes out and walks by them. Not only are you irritated because of the wind, you're wet, it's cold. Not only in your lives are you facing financial trouble, not only are you facing relational trouble, not only are you facing work trouble, not only are your kids driving you to drink, not only are you facing whatever it is, the season that you're in, not only is your marriage falling apart, not only is the school on your case about the behavior of your kids, whatever it is that you guys may be going through, 
like it gets frustrating after a while. You become hopeless if you feel like that. And with terror, they see Jesus walking past and they think, they think it's, a, it's a ghost. Let's just, let's just break down ghost. Like a ghost, negative translation. If a, a ghost haunts, so, so what they're actually referring to is like they're referring to Jesus walking by them. They're basically calling him a demon. Like it's a demon. It's a demon. And what does Jesus do in the middle of that? Immediately, Jesus comforts in their distress while freaking out. You don't often hear terror, terror. I was terrified in that flipping pipe. I was, you know, um, I was terrified. Like, what's going to happen? And Jesus comforts. And so he says here, they say, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The next response, guys, is probably the most important response you will read in your life. Because how you respond to God determines like, how, how he engages you here. So, so now, Peter, we need to take a page out of Peter's playbook here. All of us, me, us, how to respond. Peter does not say, he, he, he turns towards God, right? Him and his mates, losing their mind. Fear. It's a ghost. It's this. There's Jesus. They're not quite sure, because if they were very sure, they would have said it's Jesus. But it's a ghost. He says it's I. What is Peter's response straight away? He turns towards, and he says, tell me, let me actually just read it out here instead of paraphrasing it. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me, not, not Jesus, this boat is waking here. We're filling up with water. You need to come here and help us. Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come to you. That blew me when I read that. I was like, I don't respond like that. I, I, I'm the first to admit, yes, Jesus, you gotta come in, you gotta help me here. This is falling apart, this is doing this. My boat is sinking, you've gotta come here. Peter shows an amazing response of, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Jesus, his nature is amazing. You've just been called a, a ghost. You've had to calm the farm with all these guys in the boat. Just guys, don't take courage. It's me. And he says, come. Peter, come. And very often that's what he says to us when we respond. And we say, God, I'm here. I'm here. What, what, what does he say? He says, come. Peter, there was something in Peter's processing that essentially he knows it's safer there with Jesus than it is in my boat. Let's, let's look at that mental processing, right? That kind of response backs off that understanding or backs up that understanding of I need to be there where he is, not, where, not him where I am, okay? Verse 29, we see um, this, I, I've already read it, but, but we see Jesus is always saying, Come. He's always reaching out to us. He's always ready. He's always engaging. Verse, verse um, 29 again, but at the end, we take another page out of Peter's playbook here. Immediately, his response is, 
he got out of the boat and he started walking on water. That there, for me, mirrors such an amazing illustration of what obedience is. Because, you know, I've got to sit on the side of the boat, he's wearing his clothes, he's already wet. Now he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know how Jesus is walking on the water. None of us do in this space. Yet, Peter's obedience is immediate. I don't do that. I don't do that. I stall. And this journey over the years, God's been kind of, even me sharing here, when Dan's asking, hey, will you share? It's like, yeah, I'll be obedient to God's call. And I, and I desire the same for you in whatever it is in your in your boat, that you respond to Jesus in the same way with immediate obedience because that's how Peter mirrors it for us. Um, then, we, then, we, then we see here that when he saw the wind, we're talking about Peter now, so we're going into verse 30. When, you, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. One of, the, one of the, the nice things to see here is that even in the midst of stormy seas, even in the midst of Jesus being right there, having comforted them, Peter fails. And the beautiful thing about that is that you guys are going to fail too. I'm going to fail. We're always going to fail at some point. It's part of the process, yes. And... Uh, do you want to come preach? No, 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 no I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, it, it's, it, it is, it's, it's part of the process. And, and what happens, he's, the Bible says that he sees the wind. I'm going to take a little bit of license here. I don't think he, he in geographically, scientifically saw breezes of wind. I think what he saw was the destruction that the wind was doing to the sea that was paneling their boat and causing the distress, right? So he saw the situation around. You might, I saw the situation around. I saw the, the guys wanting to come get us, the sharks at the nets. You guys might be seeing your work situation. You might be seeing whatever situation you find yourself in. And immediately, beginning to sink, Peter's response is great. Lord, save me. When you respond after this morning and you go out, and in a week or two or a month or two or a month or three, you fail at putting your heart before God and giving him full trust of your life. And you begin to sink because your situations again become bigger than what your view of Jesus is. You need to cry out, Lord, save me. Peter shows us a beautiful heart, hey? Um, okay, then verse, uh, verse 31. It says, it says, in response to him saying, Lord, save me, the Bible says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. Again, the beautiful nature of Jesus. He's there. He's there when you call out. And then he gives him a bit of tough love and he's like, you have little faith. You, you know, why did you doubt? And we always get a bit of tough love from, from those around us. And I want to I just briefly, just very, very quickly. Why? Uh, they, they get into the boat, and then, sorry, I missed this point. They get into the boat, and Jesus takes them into the boat, and, the, and it calms around him. And at that point, every single one of them that's in the boat says, truly, you are the Son of God. It's a beautiful takeaway here, and we need to understand why they said that. In Mark 6, can you go 651, please? In Mark 6, chapter 51, 
This is the same story in another gospel, but I only want to highlight 51 and 52. Because why is it important that they said, you truly, you are the son of God? This miracle had been preceded by the five loaves. And it says here, then he climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They, the people in the boat, were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Colon, I hope that's got a colon. colon. Their hearts were hardened. I shared this scripture, two, this verse two weeks back, but I just wanted to, to put it in Eric's simple terms, because I need it in simple terms. They didn't understand at the miracle of the loaves that Jesus was truly the Son of God. That's why they're amazed. They didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. It's not because they didn't understand he was the son of God, now their hearts are hardened. They missed the understanding because of the place of their heart. Okay? Jesus wasn't on the throne at that place. that They didn't see him in that space. So, I... Normally when guys say they close, we've got about 20 more minutes and flying around in circles. <laughs> As a pilot, I, we do emergency landings in my preachers. So <laughs> I, um, I'm closing now. In, as I've gone on in my years, I still look at these gents and I feel like I'm their age, but then I look at Nick and I'm like, I'm probably closer to Nick than them. And, and, and as I've gone on in my years, I, I love sitting with older people because they're a wealth of knowledge. An absolute wealth of knowledge. My dad is a big businessman. I love sitting with him, discussing some of the things. Um, you, you know, mentors in my life that are in this church, fathers in this church, getting spiritual guidance, things like that. And you know, you get those memes sometimes or these little games you play. If you could have one dinner with anybody, who would it be with and what would you ask them? And some folks are like, yeah, I would want to sit with Madiba and ask him about how the jail was and I want to ask him this. Some of you might say, I want to have dinner with Jesus and see how that went. I, I would love to have dinner with Peter. I mean, this guy's gone through fishing the whole night, catching nothing, some stranger on the beach shouting at him, hey, cast your nets on the other side, now not being able to pull it in. At Jesus' arresting, he's cut off an oak's ear. He's walked on water. Not only that, he's also denied Jesus three times in his life. And one of the beautiful things is we can, in a sense, have one question answered. Many, but in this context, one question answered about what does Peter think about hardships? What does he think about trusting God? What does he think about how you lay this down? How should we respond to it? And uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 3 says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now there's so much context there about Christians being persecuted, but there's also the testing of faith. Right now, your faith's being tested. Maybe at work, there's a bit of persecution. Maybe the persecution is, do your colleagues see you trusting God? Do they see you doing this? Maybe every situation is different here, right? So I don't want to try and announce every situation, but you will know because the Spirit will be convicting you what your situation is. And Peter, in his older years, gives us this pearl. 
He's like, I've seen it all. But just rejoice. Just rejoice in it. Your season of trusting God, that image that I had of the bird being trapped in a cage, but the door's open. Some of you are the bird in this cage, but the door's open and you need to fly. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You actually have no one to trust in. You're trusting in full-on self-reliance. Absolutely, 100%. I, I know that from a young age, <laughs> from being sold to the sharks by, by my sister. Um, but but I, know what, I know that self-reliance. I've, I've been in that boat. It's lonely. It's hard. It's fruitless. Some of you just sitting there, the Holy Spirit's convicting that he is not seated on the throne in your life and that you don't trust him. You don't, you think you trust him. You trust him with what you're willing to see, but you don't trust him with what you're not willing to see. Me not being told about the shark nets, not willing to see, for you guys, the same. Will you go if he doesn't tell you where you're going? Will you give him your trust if he doesn't tell you what he's gonna do with your trust? Do you want to...